Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Werner Berger. Werner is the Guinness Book World of Records holder for being the oldest person in the world to have climbed the highest mountain on each of seven continents. He was 55 years old and did not have a priority prior climbing or trekking experience or background, yet he became the oldest person in the Western world to have reached the top of Mount Everest. And in May 2010, Werner led a group of 40 trekkers to Mount Everest base camp, and to the surprise of the trekking and guiding community, every single person reached this coveted destination at 17,600 feet, a feat all the more remarkable since the group age range was 18 to 84 years old, and the general dropout rate is between 25 and 45%. How amazing. Thank you so much, Werner, for being on the podcast. Welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Kimberly. Yes. So I know that you started this trekking and climbing much later in life, but why don't we start out by just you tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Kind of about your life. And then how do you got into this amazing, <laughs> amazing stuff? And still climbing. And still climbing. <laughs> At a young age of 82. I was going to ask you how old you are. Okay, 82. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm 28. I just lie a lot. Yes. <laughs> well, you look great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, I grew up in South Africa. Ended up becoming a farm kid after the Second World War. It wasn't part of the plans, but that's the way it went because my heritage is German. And um, went to university to study mining geology. Came to Canada at 22, wanting to see a bit of the world and get a bit of external experience, and basically never went back. <laughs> um, got married to a Canadian gal, had four kids, uh, didn't spend much time in the geological field, ended up um, in the business area. I took over the running of a small company uh, in 1965, ran it for 15 years, got tired of working for my employees and literally retired, as I said. Didn't know what next, what the next phase of my life was going to be, and just juggled this and the next thing, and finally bumped into somebody that was a corporate consultant. And he said, well, given your experience, I also ended up having a master's degree in science and uh, a business administration degree in MBA. He said, given your experience, in business and your background, why don't you have a look at, <clears throat> excuse me, at our business? Um, it's an umbrella company. You run your own business within this umbrella. And what we are is corporate consultants, all the way from customer service to sales, to mid-management, to leadership. And so I jumped at the opportunity took me about three years to get enough of a client base to earn an, a living. And oh, in the meantime, I should have said the stock market had crashed and literally I'd lost everything after I retired from the, 
from my other company or had sold off my other company. So it really was a, a period of recreating. And for the next 20 years, I absolutely loved what I did. Um, graduated from being a consultant in the customer service field to a sales training um, with a sales training focus ultimately all about win-win, not about push, push, uh, selling where nobody wants to accept that they're a salesperson, um, but rather somebody that makes a difference. And figured out that within corporations, very little training delivers the end result that the company is paying for. And so I realized I have to get into the leadership mode because until the culture of the company supports what the training actually provides, nothing is going to transfer. So ended up spending the last few years in that, in, um, that capacity um, and also recognized that even the leadership training, when people left saying, this is a life-changing experience, my business will never be the same again, um, I will be leading and managing differently. Six months to a year later, really nothing had changed. And I couldn't figure out, you know, what was going on? Why wouldn't these skills that we were talking about, these mindsets, these way of beings transfer into the way of doing business? Until I literally retired from that field and become a, became a climber. And as you know, that was fairly late in, in life. And what happened there is I was sitting in a self-development workshop and the guy in front said, think of three things that you would love to do before you die, but you don't think you ever will. Basically he was saying, what's on your bucket list? Yeah. But the movie hadn't come out, <laughs> so we don't, didn't have that terminology. And what popped up for me is Climb Kilimanjaro, because I was born in Africa. Climb the Matterhorn, because everybody knows this beautiful mountain in Switzerland. And go see Everest Base Camp. Because in 53, when Hillary and Tenzing got to the top for the very first time, I was 16 and I was so enamored by this achievement. And none of the other kids around me, the farm kids, really took much notice of it. But to me, it was just a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And over the years, you know, it kept being with me, but, but not on a daily basis. It was just something wow out there. Mm -hmm. And so when my second oldest son said, Dad, you know, you said you wanted to see our space camp. Why don't we go? We actually went. And for me, it was a life-changing experience. And that led me to want to climb higher, want, led me to want to climb more remote. Again, never ever thinking that I, I would land on top of Mount Everest one day, mm -hmm. which I did at um, two months short of my 70th birthday. Mm -hmm. And subsequently decided I'm going to take people on what I call transformational life experiences because it was such a dramatic change for me. And that's what got me into taking people to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, taking them to Everest Base Camp and across an Inca Trail to Machu Picchu in Peru, which are all climbs, but they are more hikes than they are climbs. 
because there's nothing technical about them. It's just dealing with altitude and of course a, a certain level of fitness. And it doesn't mean an ultimate level of fitness. Anyhow, I can keep rambling. I'm going to let you ask some questions yes. before I take over your show. Well, that is so exciting. And so I'm thinking to myself, so the first time you actually get the thought in your mind, yes, I'm going to climb this mountain for the first time. I mean, you don't just arrive there and just decide to climb. You have to like prepare, I, I would guess mentally, but also, you know, what do you need? So if you're going to climb a mountain, what things do you need? You, you're going to hit snow at some point. You're going to need a coat. What, what things do people put together in their pack? And what kind of mindset do you have to put? It's kind of a double question. But what do you do to prepare for that? It depends a little bit on the mountain. For example, Mount Kilimanjaro, you don't need much. You need a reasonable pair of boots. And I mean reasonable, just a regular set of hiking boots. Doesn't need to be a climbing boot. You need ideally a set of climbing poles because it just takes the stress of your legs. It's not a must. A lot of people do it without. I recommend people do it with because the more present you can be, um, the less exhausted you're going to be, the more enjoyment you're going to have. And the other thing you need is a sleeping bag and a winter jacket. And literally, that's it. Because most of the outfitters, including when people come with me, of course, we provide tents, we provide um, sleeping mats, we have cooking facilities, and we have cooks that um, take care of all of that. So. It's just a case, or and a, and a little day pack where you might have to carry between 10 and 15 pounds. And most of it is going to be a little bit of auxiliary clothing and the, the rest is going to be water. So that that's on the one side. On the other hand, if you go into a snow mountain, like, um, uh, uh, <laughs> can't even think of it right now, Mount Everest or Aconcagua, or um, Elbrus or some of the other seven summits, you need crampons, you need proper climbing boots, you need harnesses, you need carabiners, and uh, normally, and if you create your own expedition, of course you'll need ropes and you'll need food, etc. But the easy way there is to hook in with um, what is called an organizer, um, that simply arranges all of that so that they have the tents. Um, actually, on some of them you don't. You have your own tent. For example, on McKinley, which is now called Denali, um, you have your own tent. You do all of your own carrying. You do not have quarters. In fact, you have a sled behind you that you're pulling and you've got another 55 pounds on your back. That's a tough time. That is tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a that lot. you really need to be prepared. For Kilimanjaro, all you have to do is have the desire to step outside of your comfort zone and experience something else than the concrete jungle and the four walls that I'm sitting in for most of the day. And what blows people away when they come back is how they have connected to this planet, how they've connected to nature how amazed that they are at this fabulous world we're living in 
and how amazed that they are about who they are and how this body can deal with stresses that they never even considered or thought of. Yes. I, oh, I, I, an adventurous I, spirit is what's needed. <laughs> yes. So that's the mindset. You have to just be open to going and be open to completing the... So how long does it take? So if you're going to go to Kilimanjaro, how long does that take to go up and back down? You can do it in five days. Um, I don't recommend it because you're really pushing your body. Because as you climb higher, the body actually chemis the body's chemistry changes because you have to build more red blood cells to transfer the oxygen, the limited oxygen that's in the air. So you can do it, and I've done it in as much as nine days. Seven days is really a good in-between. And most of the time when people come and climb Kilimanjaro with me, we also spend time in the Serengeti because if you're going to travel all the way to Africa, you may as well see this amazing spectacle of animals. Yes. Um, yeah. All the way from lions to zebras to buffalo to giraffes to monkeys to you name it. <laughs> yeah. To wildebeest, to warthogs, to hyenas, to no yeah. tigers. Yes, that <laughs> no excites me. <laughs> that excites me seeing all the animals. They're just, it's and just amazing. <laughs> and by the way, while I'm on the mountain, my wife Heshi spends time with the orphans because we always go loaded with um, clothing, brand new clothing, um, school supplies, uh, medical supplies, and of course, water bottles, because she, as you know, is the advocate for a, a purity system mm -hmm. that can save the 5,000 children that die every single day from drinking contaminated water. Oh, and that's wow. her mission in life. Anyway, that's another tangent I can that go on. It is, but it's amazing how you two work together. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Well, yeah, that, that's the enjoyable part. Yeah. The first time she came to Africa with me, she's always worked with inner city schools and with kids to become the CEO of their lives. But when she saw the poverty and the, and the ill effects of, of bad water, not just in Africa, but globally, she shifted away from that to looking at after the basic needs of kids that never even get a chance to become the CEOs of their lives. Yes, yes, yeah. And she's been doing that for a while. How yeah. long has she been? Nine years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that's so amazing and wonderful. Much longer when we talk about the CEO aspect. Actually, she started that in the early 90s, 19, mm -hmm. 1990. Wow. So, so let's go back to the mountain here. So when I, I haven't climbed a mountain. So when I think of climbing for nine days, I just think, how am I going to make it? So, <laughs> how do you get, how do you get a group of 20 or 40 people to keep going? I mean, there's gotta be definitely leadership and coaching and, Tell me about very, that. <laughs> it's very simple. It's the way you approach every single aspect of your life. Uh -huh. And it's just simply one step at a time. Mm -hmm. I, actually, it's a little bit more than that. First of all, you have to have a goal. You have to have a, a, a purpose for doing this. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it could just simply be to experience something that you've never experienced before. Or it could be you challenging yourself. Or it could be you um, shifting gears from the concrete jungle into nature. Um, that's step one. And then the next step is, okay, and you, you started with the call with that. What do I need to do to prepare? I need to figure out what equipment I need. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out, you know, how fit am I and how fit do I need to be? And what do I need to do on a daily basis to achieve that? And it's just like starting a business. You know, what are the steps to get to the successful outcome? It's a fabulous learning experience in that sense. The other part, and I'm going to elaborate on that if you wish a bit later, it's also a fabulous experience on how to get to know yourself and how to be truly, truly present to be living in the moment and having that transfer back into our daily lives. And that's where the leadership thing ties in and why leaders or people in seminars that deal with people skills most of the time do not transfer those skills into the workplace. And by the way, when I talk about leaders, I'm talking about parents uh -huh. as well. I'm talking about spouses. I'm talking about anybody that is influencing anybody else. It's either going to be positive uh -huh. and inspirational, or it's going to be neutral, which is okay sometimes, uh -huh. or unfortunately it's negative. And unintentionally, uh -huh. it's just because we react to things we don't need to react to, because we don't know who we are. We're not comfortable with who we are. Anyway, that's another tangent I'm taking. Oh, <laughs> no, I would like you to talk more about that. So have you found a way to transfer things? You said, you know, most people go to like a training and the skills really aren't transferred or the communication really doesn't happen or it happens or it doesn't sink in. It's not implemented. Do you have the secret formula for helping with that? <laughs> well, my secret and the secret of the people that have trekked with me um, is they come away as I did talking about it being a life-changing experience. And without even reflecting on, you know, what it meant to me, when I say to people, what do you mean? What has changed for you? Mm -hmm. They talk about just having a sense of being present, having a sense of being connected, not just with themselves, which is, I believe, the most critical. But if I'm not connected with me, truly connected with me, I can't be truly connected with anything else. Mm -hmm. Because if something goes wrong out there or something is, um, that doesn't fit my perceptions or my expectation, I can very quickly and easily go into some kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. And usually when I go into reaction, my behavior, or at least my body language, if it's not you know, more overt, follows. And that disrupts relationships. But if, for example, Heshi does something, my wife does something that I don't like, I don't have to react. If, if, or if I do react, it's just instantaneous because so often we don't have control over our reactions because they are based on our childhood experiences, our traumatic experiences that take way, way back. And until they are resolved and released, you know, they will always have this grip on us. 
And however, if I know who I am, I don't have to be its victim, my reaction's victim. I'm not talking about the victim to the other person. Mm -hmm. If I don't know who I am, I behave as if I'm the victim to the other person. In other words, I've got no control over my life. I've got no control over the relationship. All I'm, I, I am is a reaction machine. That's what I learned for me on the mountain. And that's what I believe leadership has to be about. I, it has to be about the other person. It has to be about the relationship. It, it does not have to be about me and my comfort. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not going to sabotage me because that wouldn't be a win-win. See, we talk, oh, another tension, yeah. just for a moment. <clears throat> we hear so much in the corporate world about win-win, yet 60% of the people we know hate their jobs. But ultimately, when you dig into it, it's not the job that they hate, it's the leadership that they hate, it's the executive. And it might not be their immediate boss, but then it's the boss's boss who lays down laws and restrictions and policies and procedures that they don't live by, but they expect me to live by. So there's an incongruence here. Only reason there's an incongruence is because the relationship is not a win-win relationship. We talk about it, but they don't behave it. Because ultimately, any win-win that we have, unless we have a win-win, we're going to have a lose-lose. There's no Mm in-between. And most people think, oh, the boss will win and I'll lose. In the long term, no. Because if I keep losing, I'm going to be gone. The boss is going to lose my capabilities. On the other hand, if I keep winning and the boss keeps losing over a period of time, I'm also gone. So it's a lose-lose. The only game in town is either a win-win or a Mm lose-lose. And of course, we put up with these shades of gray, but nobody is happy in that. And again, when we look at um, family relationships and divorce rates, Dr. Phil says that 57% of all marriages end up in divorce. So you know where I spend my afternoons, (laughs) watching Dr. Phil. (laughs) Not really. But if that's the truth, the question becomes, how can that be? Because when these two got together, they got together with the intent of being together for life and creating something extraordinary rather than having something that's gonna collapse. And the reason is, They did not play a win-win game consciously because ultimately they could not from an emotional perspective. And until we resolve that emotional perspective, we're going to have a lot of marriages that have stayed together that should have been apart. Mm -hmm. By the way, I did get divorced um, after 30 years of marriage because I didn't know who I was. And I'm not even talking about my wife. She was a fabulous person. Mm. In fact, if it hadn't been for her, our kids would have been raised very differently. And I'm really proud of the way my kids were raised as well as we could do, mm-hmm. you know, given our separate knowledges. And if it hadn't been for her, I would have damaged them because of, you know, the way I had been brought up and thought that being tough was the way to go. And, you know, being tough on a kid is ridiculous. you think very differently now (laughs) yeah absolutely now it doesn't mean that they're not parameters within which a person grows up 
but freedom really is to be able to do what they want to do within the parameters that have been laid down and agreed upon mm -hmm. with an understanding of why they are there not just arbitrary the person that says you can't do that why can't i do that because i say so <laughs> yes and so many of us grew up that way <laughs> yeah, unfortunately unfortunately yes. and, they are, yes. and it's not because their parents were bad people they really just did not know they didn't know themselves and they didn't know the impact that bad parenting uh, has on kids, unfortunately, virtually permanently until they can shed some of those negative experiences. And I really mean shed because every traumatic experience is a, I'm probably talking to the converted, is a cellular experience mm -hmm. and it's cellular memory that we are battling in our reactions and our responses to whatever happens that I could be positive or it could be negative or neutral. Anyway. <laughs> wow. So how do we set up win-win relationships or win-win? How do we create win-win spaces or relationships or, you know, so that we're winning, so everyone's winning? I think one of the apps, actually there's several as aspects to it. Number one is we need to decide if we want to have a relationship and what do we expect from the relationship? And what can we agree on? And it doesn't matter whether it's a marriage or a parent-child or whether it's a business relationship. What can we agree on? What is the purpose? Where are we going with this? The next question is, what do we need to, to do? And what do we need to commit to, to in fact achieve the success that we say we want? What are, what are the parameters? What am, am I allowed to do? What am I expected to do? What am I committed to do? And within those parameters, you can hold me accountable. And that's not negative. It's simply holding me accountable to continue to support you and the relationship and me to achieve what we had agreed to achieving. And once that's in place, the more we work on accountability and personal responsibility and doing what we say we're going to do, the more grounded we become. And ultimately, from my perspective or my experience on the mountains, is grounding has everything to do with really getting to know, you know, who am I? And recognizing, and this isn't cognitive, this is not up here, recognizing the interconnectedness of everything and i sincerely mean everything not just people to people mm -hmm. but people to the earth mm -hmm. and when i'm in that space everything is so exquisitely beautiful even a little cloud drifting across the top is just like magic mm -hmm. or a bird flying by or even a little crooked tree that is struggling to survive in drought, you know, there's magic in it, there's life in it, there's, there's purpose in it, there's, um, there's energy in it, there's perspective in it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just a case of really committing to certain outcomes. And that's so frustrating to me when I look at the world these days. You know, the bottom line for everything is happiness. 
-hmm. People want to be happy. They don't necessarily have to be exquisitely rich to be happy, but rich becomes um, a substitute for happiness. The more money I have, the more happy I'm going to be is a lot of times a perception or maybe the greed factor kicks in here. Mm -hmm. um, so if happiness is, is the desired outcome, the only question is, what do we need to do continent to continent, race to race, to be happy? Mm. I'm creating a formula for that. And there's a, I'm gonna just keep going until you cut me off. I love it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fabulous example of this associated with the moon landing, the US moon landing in the 60s. Yeah. Kennedy had said, I'm allocating $10 billion to this quest. And within the decade, we're gonna land on the moon. And literally everybody said that's not a possibility. The scientific community says we have no way of getting out of the gravitational force of the Earth. We have no way of knowing how to fly in space where there's no gravity and no air. And four years later, no, six years later, they, no, sorry, four years later, they spent $6 billion out of the 10 and had not got anywhere closer to resolving the issue. So a consultant that was already a consultant to NASA, but not on the moon project, came to them and said, you cannot get there from here you have to visualize yourself on the moon and look back at today and ask yourself the question, what are all the things we had to do to get here? And you know, the rest is history. Within the next four years, they had not only landed on the moon, but they had landed within budget. And we have often heard, you know, you have to step into the future. That's exactly what he'd recommended. So if we create the kind of world we want in our imagination and get alignment and agreement to it, and from there look back at the chaos that we have today, and don't say, how do we fix the chaos? But we ask, how, what did we do to get to this nirvana position? We'll come up with very, very different answers. And if everybody in the room commits to that outcome and doing their share of those action steps, this is, has now become an action plan, in order to get there, then there's a chance for, for arrival. And if somebody goes off track, I can come to you and say, Kimberly, you know, you said you would do this and this and this and this. That's not happened. This is curtailing us to get to where we want to go. What do we need to put in place to support you to do what you said you would do? So it's not, a, it's not criticizing you, it's looking at how can I support you to fulfill on your obligation, the obligation you agreed to, the obligation you made. And that's very different from pointing fingers and saying, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. No. You, you, you're holding us back. You're you, um, derailing this train. Or you, 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 as opposed mm -hmm. to we, we, we. Yeah. Because we've got no... Um, no um, agreed upon outcome. And I, I personally believe that if I had done this in my previous marriage, if we'd sat down and said, you know, what do we want our lives to look like 
20 years, 50 years, 60 years from now. And what do we need to, what did we need to do to get here? We would have had different outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. You know? <laughs> so as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, so people have to have agreements, but how do you start those conversations? So let's say husband and wife aren't getting along so well. How do they start that conversation? Or you were even talking globally. How do we start that conversation and actually get people to be willing to actually have the conversation and then make those agreements? Mm-hmm. Well, there's some formulas and uh, communication skills that support people to actually follow that track. And the very first step is we have to look at what is the current reality. And then we need to ask ourselves, what's the desired outcome? Or what's the preferred reality? And then we need to look at what are the action steps to get here. And let's say you and I um, had some real issues. A lot of times we sweep them under the rug and sweep them under the rug and sweep them under the rug until the day comes when we can't do that any longer. And then, of course, it becomes really, really hard to renegotiate a a relationship. So, again, if we're comfortable with ourselves, when something is off, I can come to you and say, Kimberly, there's something I want to chat with you about. And again, ideally, I would pull up something that I really like about you, love about you, or what you do. And, you know, I might bring that up and say, you know, one thing that's concerning me is this. Would it be okay if we spend some time on that? And when you say yes, I might turn to you and say, what's your perspective in this? Mm-hmm. And when you're giving me your perspective, although it might be different to my perception, I cannot come back to you and say, oh, no, 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 that's not the way it was. Because the minute I do that, I'm dissing you, as opposed to allowing you to share what's true for you. And if I know who I am and I'm comfortable with me, I don't have to react. In fact, I can have empathy for the pain that you're experiencing based on your perception. It might not be reality. But your perception is your reality. And if I really care about this relationship and I care about you, I'm going to allow you to have your pain. And, I'm, and I, I might be sympathetic if it's extreme, but I'll definitely be empath- empathic and say, you know, I can see how, how you would react that way. Or, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd probably have felt the same way. Or if I were in your shoes, I would have had the same objection or the same concern which validates you. And the minute you are validated, your tension level goes down. And the minute your tension level goes down, we can start talking rationally. As long as my tension level is up and your tension level is up, we can't resolve anything because we're not talking rationally. We're talking irrationally, thinking it's we being rational. But it's all about pointing fingers. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't. Ever thinking that there's three pointing back at me and only one pointing at you. Yeah. <laughs> and this one isn't even pointing up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. So, because then there's somebody else to blame. 
Yeah. But I mean, as you're speaking, what I'm getting is that it's just all about getting clear, getting clear about how the other person is feeling, thinking, because we really don't know how other people are thinking. We think we know how they're thinking, but we don't. Right so on. It's getting really, really clear. And as you're speaking, and I'm thinking about situations where I've been in where if it was just clear, you almost feel like a weight going off. Like the clarity just clears so much and just makes your whole body relax. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, I love you brought that in, uh, the weight going off, because the, the bigger the struggle, um, the, the moment we get to a resolution, there's not only a sense of a weight going off, usually there's a sense of love. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, before there was just animosity and ridicule but when it's resolved it's just like wanting to embrace the person and I'm sure you've experienced that and I'm sure most people have experienced that when they've gone through a, a tough or difficult struggle mm -hmm. and the only question is how do we keep that love alive and the only way that I know of is to remain in communication and deal with little issues as they come up because little issues, another little issue, and another little issue, not a big deal, but by the 10th or 15th or 20th, it becomes a big deal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, our tensions really rise. It really does. Wow, I'm learning so, <laughs> <laughs> learning so much from you. Learning so much from you. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so back to the mountain here, back to the mountain. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking that as people start up the mountain, mm -hmm. they're a very different person when they start than when they finish. Yes. And as you're on that trek up the mountain, do you kind of see that happening? So I, I would think that at first you were talking about reactions. There might be a lot of reactions <laughs> the first day or the second day. Uh, how do you see that? How do you see people transform as they go up the mountain? Usually, I don't see it on the way up um, to the extent that I see it when they come down. Mm -hmm. Or actually, I don't see it as much even as other people see it when they when they come down, because I've been with them all this time, and I what I see is a willingness to to push through things, uh, the willingness to share, the willingness to communicate, and communication is again huge on the mountain because if you're having an altitude headache and I'm the leader, I need to know. And you cannot hide that from me because ultimately I will see it. But when I see it, it might be too late and it might be time for you to go down. And I've never had anybody needing to go down because of an altitude sickness. Because, first of all, we stay in communication. We do what needs to be done to let the body adapt and to acclimatize on an ongoing basis. So, so far, everybody has succeeded in, in doing that if the formula is followed and is right. Um, so I don't see the personal transformation quite as much as somebody else does when they come down the one after could be quite different, just the gleam, the glimmer in their eyes. Um, mm -hmm. There might be fatigue in the face, but it's different from, you know, the slightly more scrunched up face. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it could be fatigue, but there's a letting go part, or there's a, a solidity or a groundedness associated with it. That's usually what, what people see. And some people don't experience the shift until weeks or even months later, where suddenly they realize, you know, life is different. Mm -hmm. I'm more compassionate. I'm more patient. Uh, I'm more assertive, not, not aggressive. I'm more assertive. I say what I need. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm looking more after myself. I care more about this person here, this body, this being, or I feel differently about me. My biggest revelation, I always saw myself as not being good enough. And if anybody says, do you love yourself? I could never have said, yes, I do. Because there was no sense of love because all I saw, especially as an athlete in my younger days, because an athlete always perceives themselves as not as good as they could be because they're always wanting to, to cut the extra second off or the extra few inches in the high jump or the long jump. They're always striving for more. It's never okay. So I certainly was caught up in that field, even running my own businesses, even being a corporate consultant, really dealing with huge corporations like AstraZeneca or Clorox Canada. Um, it's, I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> Not feeling good enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and just getting to the point where I, I, I can connect with me and I can appreciate not just who I am, but this phenomenal body. Now, I didn't ever sit down and think of the intricacies of this body. You know, it, it, is, it is absolutely stunning. And the connection to the globe around us is stunning. Because if you think, and again, I'm going on a tangent, <laughs> but I got to say this. If you think of this earth being a, a, a globe of molten stuff billions of years ago, and it cooling, and over time, moisture and rain forms and erosion forms and soils form, and finally animals and plants emerge either through your religious beliefs or through evolution, and it doesn't really matter. If it's through a religious belief, there is a creator out there that is absolutely stunning. And if you don't believe that, there's an evolutionary process that is also absolutely stunning. Both are mind-boggling, period. That's all we need to say. But then we end up with plants that draw from the soils exactly what they need to grow, and they give us, if we choose correctly, exactly what our bodies need to grow and to thrive and to survive and to, to flourish. And the minute we violate that pattern through putting more toxins into our system, <clears throat> through not exercising, through not nutrienting ourselves well, through not having a reasonable balance in our lives, but always stress, 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 stress. The minute we violate that, we help destroy this organism. And the only word that comes to mind is that's a violation of creation. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, we, we don't only need to nurture our organism, but we need to nurture each other. 
and we need to nurture this planet because this all of this is our home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, awesome. From climbing to, to this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's so mind-opening. It's so mind-opening, and it just makes me feel even more wonder, you know, more wonder for this earth and the, this amazing place that we live. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, mean I couldn't have designed it any better. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it works perfectly. Yeah. It works perfectly yeah. just the way it is. So. Yeah. And then you look up and you think, my gosh, there are a billion more bodies out there yeah. <clears throat> and what does infinity mean it can't infinity can't go on forever mm -hmm. and yet it, we have no idea where it stops or does it stop and how can it not stop <laughs> <laughs> you're right we have no idea yeah it's exciting like, just to wonder about it <laughs> yeah totally imagine <laughs> yeah. and all we can be is in awe Mm -hmm. When we let ourselves really into the space of, of wonder. Yeah. I can see the wonder and the sparkle in your eyes yeah. at this moment. Yeah. Just thinking about it. It's amazing. So really? and I'm thinking that there's something that many of our listeners might be wondering about you. So you're 82. You're climbing the tallest mountains in the world. Mm -hmm. How do you keep your body in shape? Do you have a... I mean, what if somebody's even 70 and they're thinking, oh, I'd like to climb a mountain, but man, how could I even get ready for something like that? You know, right now I'm a couch potato and <laughs> if I want to climb a mountain, my body might not make it. So what, what is your regimen? Any thoughts on, you know, what exercise to do or what food to eat? I mean, uh, a lot of us look at you as a miracle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really not, because there's a fair number of 80s and 90-year-olds that are really very active and very spry. And the formula you ask for is um, finding reasons to enjoy life, and it doesn't have to be climbing a mountain or trekking to Everest Base Camp. It could be painting, it could be reading, it could be, it could be anything that really turns a person on. And then looking at what I just mentioned, the four things. How can we reduce the toxins we put into our bodies? There's a really fascinating book, and I'm just going to hold it up, that I just read. Uh -huh. And DENT stands for <clears throat> Diet, Exercise, Nutrition, I can't remember the T, maybe it's take action from what you know. And if you do this right, you do not end up at needing to be debilitated by chronic illnesses, because this is about looking after the body. And, you know, the minute we, and what got me to think of the book was she talks about stranger danger. Mm -hmm. Everything that we put into our body or that touches our body from the outside is first perceived as a stranger by our system and might be considered to be dangerous. And if it's considered to be dangerous, our immune system and our structure immediately kicks in to counteract that danger. And if the danger isn't too acute or too severe, this amazing mechanism that we have counteracts 
that negative influence, excuse me. And um, if it actually conduces, if it's conducive to support our immune system, of course it fuels us and inspires us and, and motivates us. And it doesn't matter whether it's a word or a look or something we ingest or clean air external from us that impacts either our skin or, or even penetrates our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so if we reduce the dangers to our bodies one step, we know that our bodies are, require act, activity. They require us to be mobile. And even 20 minutes of gentle walking a day is going to have a huge impact on somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And if they have a goal, for example, of climbing a mountain, I just cheer for their health, not just the experience, but for their health. Because the minute they make that decision, they know that the mountain isn't going to care if they are fit or not. But if they are reasonably fit, it'll make a huge difference to their enjoyment of what they are going to experience, of um, what they're going to see, of um, what's going to happen in general. So it's going to be a positive da danger factor, all these positive experiences. So they will get onto a nutritional regime, which of course is the other element because unfortunately most people don't talk about our foods being nutritionally depleted. We cannot grow our foods in an industrial factory um, way of doing things because we need to summer fellow. We need to um, allow the soil to to regenerate. We can't keep sucking mic micronutrients out and hitting it with pesticides, fungicides, miticides, in insecticides, etc., etc., um, year after year and end up having food that's whole, wholesome. Let's just leave it at that. So our foods are nutritionally depleted and the only way to counteract that is with good supplementation. Now the un unfortunate part is our greed factor in our society puts out 1,700 multivitamins on the North American market. 1,000 of them have no value to the human body, but are still being sold. Centrum is rated at a 3.2% usefulness. One a day is rated at a 1.9% usefulness. And this is part of the 700 that are above the zero zone. There are products on the market that are above the 80 and 90% usefulness. Mm -hmm. I fortunately bumped into the higher grades. So I supplement very, I believe, effectively mm -hmm. um, with products that are, are not only balanced, are not only potent, but are absorbable. And then the other part, of course, is just continuously looking at life balance. How can I reduce the emotional stressors on my life, which is also an external danger factor? The more stress we're under, the more tight the body is, the more less functioning it is. And of course, unfortunately, self-fulfilling prophecies start kicking in where we determine our fate, not in a positive way, but in a negative way. So those are all elements that help. And, you know, 
I'm so fortunate that I'm not on any meds whatsoever. I cannot even remember when last I took an aspirin, but I take daily vitamins. Mm -hmm. And when people say, why do you take so much? I know that one a day only has the tiniest fraction of what we need in our systems. You can't put enough into one pill to give your body what it needs because it needs minerals, it needs vitamins, it needs antioxidants, it needs omegas, it needs vitamin D, it needs magnesium, it needs zinc, and on and on and on. Yeah. <laughs> because that's more. the complexity of this body. It doesn't thrive on just one tiny little bit of something. Yes, yes, that makes sense. So my stranger danger is stranger health, actually. It's not stranger danger. Yes, and that book, you have pull that book back up again and, and read the title and the, the author because I believe I know that author. Trish it's, Murray um, Dio, Make a Dent in Chronic Disease. Do you, right. I, I don't know if you realize this or other people realize this, but um, a couple of weeks ago, I actually interviewed Dr. Trish Murray on the oh, podcast. Awesome. So, I'm going to have to find it. Be sure and go find her <laughs> podcast. <laughs> And hear what she has to say. Yeah. And um, it's really cool that you are reading her book. <laughs> Actually, and just yesterday, Hashi and I started on her rainbow and 21-day cleanse, mm -hmm. which means eat as much as you want, but cut out a certain set of foods that could be toxic to the body. And by cutting them out for 21 days and then gradually reintroducing them, the body will tell us, hmm, sugar is not good for me, or excuse me, or it's okay. Alcohol is not good for me, or it's okay. Gluten is good for me, or not good for me, or it's okay, mm -hmm. etc. So, um, yeah, I, I read the book, and if I show you any page, you'll just see underline after underline after underline. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great book about health. Lots of, lots of value from that book and yes. you're already implementing which so many people don't do they read and they don't implement you're implementing <laughs> so i think that's another secret <laughs> yes yes and that's actually the other part i started talking about leadership and how leaders don't do what they know they need to do because we or our perception of ourselves get in the way and we can talk win-win but we really don't know how to play win-win and if they took each one of the skills that we taught in leadership, for example, and they just work them through to the point where they own the skill, the brain actually gets rewired. So it's no longer a parenting, a parroting, not a parenting, of the skill. It actually is rewired in the brain and it changes who I am being. And that, of course, is the purpose of the of interaction or positive interaction and being grounded is really being present and being comfortable with the presence because ultimately the most of the dangers that i perceive out there are my perception that i perceive out there it's not that they exist it's not somebody with a gun pointing at me it's my wife who might have yelled at me because she's upset but I take it on as if I'm a bad guy, as yeah. opposed to just recognizing, you know, she is really upset with something I might have done, 
consciously or unconsciously, let's get this resolved. Yeah. Back to that one. <laughs> so much about just not reacting, owning. Yeah. And, and it's not a case of squashing the feeling. Mm -hmm. It's not about not reacting because I'm pushing the feeling down because that actually creates more problems mm. than not having it or having it dissipate. Yeah, but there's still that feeling, you know, when, you, when you're feeling that, you still, it's, it's a painful feeling. So <laughs> you wanna do something to alleviate that feeling, whether it be talking to the person or clearing the air. And that's really the key is talking to the person or clearing the air internally, not swallowing it. You put your finger right on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because all those emotions pushed out don't feel good after a while. Yeah. <laughs> Cause your tummy ache or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or polluting the air to the point where we can't breathe it anymore. Mm -hmm. Same thing, as opposed to clearing the air. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Keeping it healthy so that the plants are healthy so we can be healthy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. So this is the question I ask everyone. In, in your life, what do you believe? I know you've talked about so many things, but what do you believe has given you the most fulfillment, the most happiness in all of life? Wow, that is a big question. It is. <laughs> And that has changed from time to time. At one time when I was still at university and still heavily into track and field, I was a pole vaulter. And there's a story, and I'm gonna cut it really short, where I realized I'd never had a coach. And in pole vaulting, you should have a coach. I realized there was something that I was not doing. I had not habituated it in terms of the lift and so I decided not to vault with a pole or a bar, but practice something literally for months on end, which I did for about six months. And it came to the time of the meet. And my warm-up jumps um, were, of course, without a bar. And the, there was rain coming in. And... Um, The last warm-up jump, I actually didn't just swing through. I did the entire thing the way I'm supposed to do it. And that was, to me, the most incredible feeling that I'd ever had to that point in time. Because it felt to me that I did my vertical, I did my push-up, I did my jackknife, and I did fall back into the pit and lay down in the pit. And the storm clouds were were coming and I knew that the meet might be canceled. But I was lying in that pit so full of joy and so full of um, inspiration and, and just so connected with having made this jump without a bar, mm -hmm. but having fulfilled something or experienced something that I hadn't even anticipated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that could have been one of the moments that you talked about. Yes. Um, another moment certainly was when my kids were born. Now, the nurse kept coming into to my wife because we 
I couldn't be in that delivery room in those days, saying that he is walking on air. That was another moment of this um, extreme exhilaration. Mm -hmm. And the next one that absolutely comes to mind is being very high up on on Denali. And it's already 11 o'clock at night, but it's still light because it's so far north. Mm -hmm. And there were clouds moving in. And we were at Camp 3 in a very, very precarious situation. But we created some ropes, some safety ropes. And I stepped out of the, um, the cave. We were in a snow cave. And I was just blown away by, by just everything, by the connectedness of everything. Um, and I've experienced that several times since then. But at that moment, it was like, Everything was perfect. Everything was just absolutely perfect. Being holed up in this snow cave at 15, 16,000 feet, um, hard to breathe. We'd shoveled the cave out, which was extremely hard work, you know, at that altitude. Um, and then standing here in this almost dusk, um, but everything was just perfect you know that's one of those other moments yes. but again when you're in love with a person when you're in love with a person you're experiencing that same that same emotion it's just like wow and it's not it's not a wow about me it's not wow about them it's just a, a wow about being mm-hmm so uh, yeah. not one answer, not a simple yeah, answer. I love that question. answer. <laughs> love it. I love it. So any um, last words on just how people can create an incredible life for themselves? Get to know what you love and what you love to do. And if you're not doing it, visualize yourself doing it and being it being part of your life and looking to what do you need to do on a day-to-day basis to live into that. And is this activity that I'm planning to do right now leading me to that or is it leading me away? Which of course gives me choice. If I just keep falling into my old patterns, I have no choice. I really become a victim of those patterns. But the minute I can choose, you know, is it taking me to where my, I've designed my destiny to be or is it dropping me off? And it's okay if I say, no, for the time being, I'm going to let it drop me off. But for that moment, don't tell me that's where you're going because now you're just dropping off, but do it consciously with the intent of coming back. And if coming back really is the real path for you, then you will stay on path more of the time. The more of the time you're on, the more of the time you're going to be on. And if it's not the path for you, recreate the path. What do you want? I didn't know for the longest time in my life what I wanted. I didn't have an end goal in mind. And so, you know, doesn't mean I wasn't successful in a moderate way, but it wasn't the ultimate in terms of what I could have done um, had I been more conscious. So it's all about seeking to become more and more conscious and connected. 
Yes. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed having this conversation with you and all the wisdom about life that you shared is just amazing. And I just love your, the way you wonder about things, just the, the wonder. And, and I think we all need to wonder more. Well, and a large part of what I just shared had to do with your inspiration and your uh, role as a interviewer or a questioner or a friend. Um, because all I need to do is look at your smiling, glowing face and be turned on. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. Well, thank you, Warner. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure, Kimberly. Thank you so much.